0: Refined Labs, this is State of Demand Gen.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Demand Gen Live. Happy Tuesday. Great to have you all here. We have over, uh, we're already over 50 people live, and we're just getting started. So um, great to be back here. A couple quick announcements before we get started today. If you haven't heard yet, we're, uh, we are I was going through and doing a... Um, a recap for our team meeting today of all the things that we did at refine labs and so last year we hired 58 people and promoted more than uh more than 20 percent of those people and so if you are interested in joining the team at the moment we have over 30 positions posted we plan on hiring more than 100 people here at Refine labs so if you are interested in learning more about how we are fundamentally changing how companies think about measure and execute marketing then i would love to uh to talk to you so feel free to drop a link into the dm what we are doing is combining Strategy, execution, and research in a way that no company has done before to both drive strategy and optimize overall go-to-market strategy. And so I would uh, encourage you, if you're interested, we have roles all across creative media, operations, um, a bunch of other ones. So if you're interested in joining, feel free to uh, check out the jobs on refinelabs.com on LinkedIn or shoot me a DM. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Now transitioning into the the agenda here, which for those of you that are on the email list have noted that there was no agenda. So I'm going to be driving here with a couple of topics. The first one I was talking to CMO um, just this afternoon, actually, and what um, basically what the con- that where the conversation end up, ended up is is there's a lot of CMOs out there that are uh, basically thinking about looking at how to do LinkedIn like we're doing here at Refine Labs. That so was basically like the center point of the conversation, um, and I gave this advice to her, and I'm going to give it uh, the advice to all of you, which is that, and it, for this, it's a Series D company, so keep that in mind as well. Maybe this avi- advice doesn't play as the same in a you know seed or Series A stage startup, but what it came back to her and was like. It's not about adding LinkedIn on top. Like You have right at the moment somewhere between a 4 and a $12 million marketing budget that is not performing for you. And so instead of looking at putting one extra sprinkle on top, the first step is to look at all of the dollars that are being spent and what is it actually doing for you? What things do you need to cut out and remove so that you can create one or two workhorse channels that deliver most of your pipeline? Because... If you try and do this whole little employee advocacy thing and shout it out like you do like refine labs is doing you're going to be fired before it works for sure. And so this is like the incremental expense of doing linkedin is low, the problem is that you're bleeding millions of dollars in other programs that aren't working. And so you need to have your major marketing expenditures in a place where you know they're delivering before you go and look and put little sprinkles on top on LinkedIn, especially organic channels, especially if you're trying to do it the way that we do it here, because it's not like, it's not like the Refine Labs team just popped out of nowhere and decided, hey, I guess you know December 2021, I guess 2022 is going to be the year that we go hard on LinkedIn. I've been doing this shit every day for three years. Megan's been doing this shit every day for three years. We got a lot of people in our company that have been doing this for a while now. And so you might see it scaling out recently, which it has. And I'm super proud of all the people that have been putting in the effort and putting out great information for people. Super proud of that. But there was a lot of building blocks that went into making this all successful and it's not only about doing the work it's about the culture that you create it's about the people that you hire it's about how you enable them it's about how you create space for them to do this every day and so people that are thinking about chasing the linkedin strategy i think need to think deeply about the ingredients necessary in order to make mm-hmm. it really work and challenge the people to think about that um, i'll pause there and see if people have questions and i have a couple other topics i'd like to talk about as well
0: um, no immediate questions. I have, um, oh, oh, Perry to the rescue. Um, let me bring you on so you can kick us off with our first live question. Um, go ahead. Are you?
2: Are yep. Live? Hey, how's it going?
0: Yep.
2: Hey, Perry. Hey. All Where right. Are you so from? Well, uh, I live in Burlington, Vermont. Just dumped awesome. like two yeah. feet of snow yesterday. Love that
1: place. Lake Champlain's beautiful.
2: Oh my God. Uh, football throwaways. I wish one day I will sail a boat. Not coming soon. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, I just got off an hour phone call with my dad about LinkedIn strategy. Um, I he's my my mentor, and uh, small business owner. Anyway, so I I'm consulting a um a, a buying group, a group purchasing organization, on some marketing strategy. Uh, they're a legacy business, and what I mean by that is um they're they're looking to innovate and they're they're trying to do things that's why they hired me um, and so I'm throwing a bunch of ideas at them a lot of them are getting rejected and so the next one I'm going to present is the LinkedIn strategy um, the the leadership zero presence on LinkedIn and these are executives these are people that have had successful careers already and so I'm looking at their profiles like okay 250 connections a eight-year-old profile picture, and a resume when you got your last job. I'm like, oh, gosh, shit, we got a lot of work to do here. Mm -hmm. And uh, the main problem is only one, I don't know how many people in the company, I'm assuming about 20, 30, probably only one or two people in the organization actually have the knowledge to put out content. So here I am, I'm I'm a uh, content expert, like I can write and I understand the field. And so I can write for them. So here I am, I'm going to present my big idea, but I'm like, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the trenches writing the content. And then you just mentioned, you know, the sprinkling out there and someone just mentioned, yeah, LinkedIn organic is slow. So I'm either going to get crushed at the, my meeting in a week, or they're going to say I'm brilliant and buy me that sailboat.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> um- Based on how you described your question, it sounds like you're trying to sell steak to a vegetarian.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was good. Not let's put more um, the uh, the fake meat, uh, beyond meat. Okay. (laughs) I I think they're receptive. I think we got something to play with here.
1: So um, when I was starting my company, um, my initial target was recurring revenue model medical device companies and within three months i figured out that i was trying to sell steak to a vegetarian that those people were not willing to pay did not have the right mindset didn't would not put in the effort and generally were not ready for what i was offering to them and so and the same thing like companies companies come in and talk to us and they think that they're hiring some commodity marketing agency and they're like okay we want to pump up our mqls or we want to like run performance marketing or whatever they're asking us to do and it's like we we sell we sell steak over here you're asking for things you know what i mean or whatever the analogy you want to use what we're selling is very different than what you want to buy um, so that's something that broadly, like I give the advice to every single small business owner entrepreneur that's trying to do this. It's like, you got to find a customer that truly values and is ready for what you're selling. Um, I have been through this, uh, on more, more, more occasions than I can count right now. And the all roads lead to, even if they do buy into the strategy to being, excited about it for about 30 days, somewhere between 30 and 90 days, and then giving up because the way to make it work is really fucking hard. And most, yeah, people- I don't want
2: to, I don't want to check it off the list and say, Hey, that yeah. was on Q1 roadmap done. Uh, because yeah. when I leave, there's gotta be a sustainability path.
1: Exactly. Um, and that's like exactly what I said to the CMO today. It's like, the inertia that's working against you in order to do this, if nobody in your company is doing it right now, in order to get it to a place where it's actually working is years. I'm not joking. Um, and so I, I, uh, I'd i be happy to answer a follow-up so I can be a little bit more helpful, but that's really the, it's the its the answer. If you want to do, like, what, do you, what are you trying to accomplish okay, so, okay so Are you I trying think to you... find a customer? Are you trying to build a business? What are you trying to do?
2: Okay, so they're, they're a current customer mine.
1: Okay. And we're every
2: week we're going through brainstorming meetings. You, you know, do like consulting for them, consulting, but also go to market. Like, okay, you came up with the idea, let's put it into action. And they have the resources and they have the funds to help me, so I'm not sitting out there dry. Yeah, I get you. And you just so one of the problems I experienced with them is they said, "Well, Perry, that's great that you want to patch that hole, but we have these other holes over here too," and so. I think I can get them across the finish line and you probably hear that a lot, right? Ah, we'll get them there. Yep. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I mean, if you if you just look and assess how many businesses there are on LinkedIn that execute exceptionally on the platform, there's probably less than 10 total. And the reason is because It's not like, it's not through lack of training as to why this doesn't happen in companies. It's due to lack of culture that enables people to do it, lack of measurement that supports even thinking about how to do this, and generally just creating a place where people feel safe to be creative and share their ideas where other employees aren't going to think, hey, that person's dumb for doing that. Um, Okay, so... so yeah. There's a lot of, uh, how, how in an organization that is
2: structured, I would say they have, they have somewhat of a corporate structure. Um, even though they're small, it still feels kind of corporate. They have their Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. They have their milestones, their goals.
1: And so is it. The solution. I think I know where you're going. Correct me if I'm not, but the solution is to get one executive to do it consistently for more than six months. Okay, so don't just, try and get a bunch of people to spread yeah. out and do it when you don't have – I call it I call it a Trojan horse. It's not the right wording for it, but just so you get what I'm saying. One person that can pave the way so that other people see this is what good looks like. This is something that can model. I'm getting – I can see someone getting having success with doing this. And so by kind of paving the way in one way, otherwise you're going to spread it out. A bunch of people are going to post one or two times in a week and then over time just give up like every other resolution that people have. Um, and so the, the way to make this work, and again, all it does is just extend the timeline out, but while you extend the timeline out, you increase the chances of success exponentially in my experience is to have one executive that really buys into it, to do it consistently for an extended period of time and drive results, and then show other people how to do it.
2: Okay. So if they were to pose the question to me, Hey, Perry, in six months, what will be my result if in best case scenario that I put some videos, some good pictures, some good commentary, storytelling out. What's the result of that? What do you say to, in that situation?
1: I don't know. I built uh, at that point, probably after six months, I built a half a million dollar business by posting on LinkedIn. Um, but the, the real thing to think about is that it's not about the first six months. It's about forever. If you're having a business, right? Like, the growth that's going on at my company right now is indescribable couldn't be replaced by anything that you do you can there's nothing that you could do in an entire company launch new products raise a big round of funding um spend a million dollars a month on ads whatever you want to do could not be replicated with what we have right now that's so funny you saying that they're launching them not a lot
2: of new products a lot of new products are people buying them slow
1: yeah And so like, it's, it's not about the first six months, it's being in the game for, for a long time. Um, and if you have the infinite game mindset, then you play the game differently. Um, and so, um, I'm like, anyone that's looking to like justify LinkedIn after six months with results has the wrong mindset. about it. The second piece is if you're trying to justify LinkedIn with results in six months, the issue is that the other four to $12 million in marketing that I talked about initially that you're spending isn't delivering enough to create the space to do it. And so it's like, yeah, your, it's not. the LinkedIn program needs to be the sprinkle on top for an established business, it needs to be the thing that if it doesn't work, like our TikTok experiment, our YouTube experiment right now, if it doesn't work, everything's fine. Cause we have things that are our programs that are already delivering more than what we need. And most companies don't have the main course that's delivering more than what they need. So, so the, yeah, there's
2: no main, there's no main course right now. They're relying on current customers uh, to feed the business. Sure, yes, I so can. I was like, look, nothing's working. Okay, so at least goodbye. let's be proactive here.
1: Yeah, totally. And the recommendation, if it's I'll make it for like a SaaS business. Cause I do this a lot when people think about it is like, before you think about linkedin break down everything you're doing right now and rebuild and then once you get rebuilt and things are delivering then you add the things that are extra um and when i think when i talk about rebuilding this is not like it's not necessarily all tactics it's like do you need a new story do you need to put that new? do you need a new story that needs to make become a new website Do you need to think about your category and positioning differently? Do you need to go out and do deep customer research for 90 days? So you know what the fuck you're talking about when you make content on LinkedIn. Um, and so those are some of the steps that might be needed to, to make, to make this really work, but it's weird as I keep talking through with you and I appreciate you kind of pulling this stuff out of me. It's, uh, it's, there's so much, uh, it's like kind of like the iceberg type of thing. There's so much that goes into making this work that nobody sees. It's not getting up. It's not me sitting there at eight 30 in the morning and writing a post and calling it a day. Um, and so I think that the the underlying effort and strategy and details that people don't see are the difference between whether you're successful and, and not.
2: Yeah. And I, I, for me, my experience with LinkedIn has been really positive this year, uh, because the people on Facebook, I have a certain crowd of people that interact with me. On LinkedIn, it's completely different. I mean, mm-hmm. I have like really high quality people that are commenting on my shit that would never even talk to me on Facebook like I'm an alien. Or anywhere,
1: like, or at or a anywhere. conference, or on a cold call, or anywhere else, but they'll talk to you on LinkedIn, which is what most people don't understand, right? Yeah. Convincing you is different than convincing the CEO of this, what did you call it? Like a traditional or outdated legacy, company, legacy. Your legacy company, it's different um and so
2: and then the, the yeah. somehow the algorithm on LinkedIn is crazy right now I'm seeing all sorts of content from past friends that I haven't seen in forever and they're bringing up old history and I, I love it so
1: <laughs> right on good to chat with you man that was yeah, a good back and you. forth
0: All right. The questions are rolling in now. Adam has a good one that kind of follows this LinkedIn thread. And then we have a couple of questions from YouTube that I have to sneak in next. So Adam, I think this is a great follow-up to the topic Perry brought up. Should be on.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Megan. Hey, Adam. Chris, good to see you again. Good to see you. Hey, So my question is about uh, how you measure, I guess, success as you're trying to grow your personal self brand, whatever you'd like to call it on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So the two things I'm kind of looking at right now are when I make a post and I look at the list of companies that are looking at it, I see all these companies that are in my like ideal target markets. And then I look at how many people view the post or, or react to it as maybe a, um, a percentage of my total follower count. So like, I only have like 1800 followers. And so you know, I, a lot of posts will maybe get three or 400 views, really, really good ones. Um, Occasionally we'll get, you know, 1500, 2000, sometimes I'll exceed my, my follower count. And so I wanted to kind of hear from you uh, based on your experience, I guess um, when you were kind of first getting started, what, what do you view as successful with those metrics and maybe uh, how that's changed now that you guys are doing this on a much more regular basis?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I, Don't feel like my strategy on how to measure LinkedIn aside from adding self-reported attribution, which has been a major breakthrough has changed. And so I'll talk through, I feel like I've almost been doing the exact same thing from the beginning. Um, I almost never look at that account view that you talked about and I never did. Um, And instead, what I'm, what basically what I'm trying to figure out at the beginning is do people care about what I'm talking about? And and so and the signals that I'm looking for, comments. What are they saying? People that see my post and then share it with me in a DM and then say something about it. So somebody was compelled enough to consume the content, to take time out of their day to then send me a message about it directly and say something is super meaningful and valuable. So like those are the signals that I'm I've been looking for forever. Um, I do and I have almost always used engagement rate but only for the first uh, hundred views is what I look at okay. and so all I'm looking for is out of the first hundred views so i post and within four three to five minutes is over is how what percentage of people liked or engage, yeah just not even comments just pure likes like the post out of a, out of a hundred and I'm aiming for mine somewhere between like five and ten percent and I know that if that's where it happens and the rest of the post is going to be all good if it's less than that then i can think about whether i want to adjust the copy or just let it roll um so i look at engagement rate for that specific part because once the once the algorithm starts sending it to people it will dilute the engagement rate based on the amount of views that happen so the more views and impressions that it gets the lower the engagement rate will be most often yeah um but generally it's like to keep it really simple it's like do people do people care? And I don't even care whether or not they can work at companies that can buy from me and I never have because I know that if there are marketers that uh, that in- resonate with my content, it means that they most, most likely work in a B2B company, right? And if they resonate with the content and whether they use it and have success, whether they share it, whether they like it, which boosts it in the algorithm, whether they tell somebody about the podcast, whether they share it in their company's Slack channel, all those different things create the dark social plays which is why my company wins yep and so all it is is about do people do people care and enjoy and get value out of what i'm posting and so whatever metrics that you can develop to to damage demonst- to look at that but in my experience like the most valuable ones are qualitative
3: great well thank you very much for that i appreciate happy it. to help thanks
0: good to have you on adam All right, we are back on YouTube streaming tonight and we have two questions from some awesome folks. So Stephen Pope is watching right now and he's referencing um, the six pillars for a content strategy that you had shared a few weeks ago, I think. Um, He says that you had referenced a deck that outlines your point of view of what your audience cares about, and that's deeply connected to business goals. He was wanting you to expand on that. Do you remember? Do you remember I that have no off? idea what
1: you're talking about now. <laughs> I know, I remember um, the post. I don't remember what the six things are off the top of my head.
0: I think maybe, he, um, maybe he's looking for a little bit more clarification and uh, like additional commentary on how to like identify what your audience cares about and like relate it to their goals and like package it up. I don't know if you talked mm-hmm. about a deck, but um, I can jump to the next one.
1: Yeah. If- I mean, I can like, if it's just how do you understand your, what your customer's goals are? Um, the answer is to be in the market and conduct qualitative market research, however you want. So initially I interviewed CMOs for a podcast. I continue to have, for the past three years, insights through the community, whether it's the ManGen Live, on LinkedIn, other places, which I predicted for 2022 will be the most valuable thing your marketing team ever does is get customer insights through a community that you built. doesn't matter where it's at. Probably better that it's on a Slack one. Content-driven community that drives insights for you is is really, really important. And then this one, it's... It's hard to explain, right? Because nobody, when I was doing the research, nobody out there was telling me, hey, Chris, like, you should think about how to do attribution differently. Or, hey, Chris, you have, you ever think about, like, like, un- ungating your content? Like, I think I should do that. And then I jumped on the bandwagon about that. I start with my customer's customer and work backwards to what matters to them, right? And so it's almost like there's part of it That requires some level of intuition and strategy, because what what people tell you is not going to be directly what they tell you what they want. It's just not usually what I've had, what I've found in, in my experience. And then the key is that as you put out information more and more often that you get the signals of what people resonate with and what people don't. Um, And so a lot of people never get enough reps to know what works and what doesn't. They don't try things because they're scared when they post it about whether or not people are going to agree with it. And they're only going to get 15 likes on a post so that they never post it. And they never know whether or not that would be good or whether it would have worked or whether it would have been the insight that changed their entire company's strategy. And it's all about prioritizing metrics over actually doing the reps and learning. So, um, and the reps matter. I've actually like thought really deeply because, um, this happens in organic, but it also happens in paid where, um, companies want to like compare and, and compare against every single piece of content. Did this piece of content work better than this piece of content or was it the other way around and why? instead of looking at it and be like each individual piece of content has their own goal. Why are we comparing it against one another? Let's just put it out. And then we put it out and we learn and we continue. I've never looked at my LinkedIn posts and compared, trying to figure out why this one worked better than that one. There's really no comparing the success of content really has no value. And so when people look, the performance marketing mindset of running a hundred pieces of creative or with a hundred different different offers and then a B testing that against some mid level conversion, like a click, like an ebook download, like a demo sign up when they're, depending on whether they're giving you a football kit, a swag kit, or a grill kit, which I've seen right now, have you have probably a lot of people have seen the company that's trying to AB test, which swag kit to give out. And I'm like, you shouldn't be AB testing this. You should figure out a whole different fucking strategy. Um, and so anyway to get back to it if you treated each individual piece of content like it was a like it had its own objectives and its own goals and then you put them out what you would find is that that you don't need to compare one against the other that each individual piece of content has value on its own um i'm trying to help people see that both in organic and paid
0: Well, that question took you in a great direction.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: Me too. One last YouTube question. And then we have a bunch of really great um, scenario questions from three people live on the show. So um, Scott Marker.
1: And then I'll do an agenda and then we'll head back. That's cool.
0: Okay, cool. So just to get in the final YouTube question, Scott Mm -hmm. Marker, he's usually here live. He's watching on YouTube tonight. He says, um, hey, you've talked a lot about um, ABM isn't really anything new. And he's asking, is this a strategy you use for your clients? And if so, how How are you using account-based marketing?
1: So I personally don't uh, agree. I think I'll put agree as the word there, agree with the term ABM or account-based marketing because B2B companies should have been doing it anyway long before there was account-based marketing software, B2B companies should have been doing qualitative customer research, figuring out segmentation, understanding where the best value would be to target with the right messaging and target those accounts. Instead, they listened to marketing automation vendors and drive as much leads through their SEO programs as they could. And then eventually a new vendor had to come and fix what was broken when they should have been doing it in the first place. And so, yes, like do we target accounts yeah we're in b2b like we build either named account lists or or firmographic targeting depending on tam and we target accounts and and move that through i don't call it abm i call it b2b marketing
0: you want to squeeze in another topic and then we'll we'll bring on grace leila and kayla next
1: yeah i got two if you can buffer the time i'll go through one yeah yeah. um Katano brought this up in the, um, in the event that we did a couple of weeks ago. Shadow Catano, love having the guy on the show. He brings some really interesting ideas, and this one got me thinking a lot. What he was talking about is how companies, because of talent access challenges, are going to be leveraging a lot more of a hybrid talent model. Um, and that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, um, especially because a lot of other functions and businesses already use a hybrid talent model. And not, a, not I'm not talking about hybrid work, like you work some time in the office and some time in uh, virtually. What I'm talking about is hybrid talent, which means that you have internal W-2 employees and you pair that with external experts, whether that's freelancers, consultants, uh, firms, and agencies, or anything like that. And when you bring them together, you get a better product than you would by just having an internal team. And I'm going to talk through the rationale as to why, if I was a business leader or a CMO, why I would think about this on the internal side, we need to leverage the exact expertise and the value that the internal team can provide, which is customer insights, product strategy, and company strategy. All those things get created through depth. So internal employees build, build things through depth that are difficult to create externally because They work in your company full time. They have a lot of hours to dedicate and a long-term view of what they're doing. So your internal people are focused on customer insights, product strategy, and company strategy. And then you pair external firms, external resources, whether that's a freelancer, a consultant, or otherwise, that are focused on frameworks and processes, benchmarks, innovation, and other types of analytics and trade secrets, which get created through scale that you don't have as a one company thing. Freelancers might work with five companies at once, and maybe over a year, they would work with 15 companies. And so therefore they get exposed to 15X more situations with more companies than your internal team does. Or perhaps a firm like mine now gets exposed to probably, we've probably done hundreds of companies at this point So therefore the processes, the innovation, the frameworks, the benchmarks and analytics that we have access to are not replicatable by your internal team. And when you put those two things together, if your team instead of was focused, instead of focusing on what would be the best way to bid on my Google ads and instead focused on how do I understand my customers deeply? How do I put together an amazing story about our company and our our product and how do I get those things together and then allow experts externally through scale bring those together i believe this is the future of work for that exact reason that you can't replicate externally customer insights and product insights like you can in-house and you can't replicate um innovation and trade secrets and things like that internally because you don't have the scale and so i believe that more companies will utilize this type of model in all functions i'm talking about marketing right now but i think it'll be the same exact thing will happen in sales Will happen in finance will happen in other functions where an external firm sets the frameworks of how you operate and then you pair your internal expertise to actually all make it happen and the reason being is because right now all of your processes are built and defined by technology vendors in all in all places but it's so interesting i was thinking think about all um i'm helping people to see that there are old rules and they're playing an old game with old rules and that the old rules were created by technology vendors. So if you think about everything that you do as a marketer, we need to gate content and then we have to push them through email automation to nurture them until they hit an MQL score and then we pass them to sales. Who invented that? Not anybody that knew how it worked, a marketing automation vendor because their platform did that. And so then what'd you measure on MQLs because why, because it made the platform look the best that it could, because you sent more emails, you did more activity, you created more MQL scores. I could go through this example in a a ton of different ways. Attribution. Why do we do attribution the way that we do right now? Solely because certain vendors put together certain ways of doing things not external firms that are objective and look at things that are at a a, in a scaled view about why you would do it a certain way and so i believe that to get back on the topic i believe that companies will use this hybrid talent model where they pair with an objective third-party firm that brings in these types of things that they can't replicate internally
0: I love it and I agree. I think it's also a new way for early startups to think about how they scale effectively, what they take on internally and huge opportunity for different people to develop their own businesses to support companies in all of these different areas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome, you wanna go back to a few questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, I like our next three guests we're going to bring on grace I want to bring you on next, so you can talk through your question live with Chris welcome to the show.
4: hi it's
0: good to be
4: on here as a voice for the first
0: time. Um,
4: hey, but, grace. yeah hey um so. I am still processing what you just said, so I'm trying to refocus on my question. But basically, it just stems back to what you said at the beginning of the call, where you are, you know, looking to hire 100 people. Um, you know, you have 70 people right now. I feel like every time, you know, you check back in at how big Refine Labs is, it's like you've a whole new refined lab, you know what I mean? And so I, I think I wanted to hear from you um, about any kind of onboarding or training challenges that you've had um, and how you just kind of make sure that, you know, as you grow and double, triple in size, how you make sure that everyone's rowing in the same direction, believes in the same philosophy, um, that you're achieving the same results for your clients um, as you grow.
1: Yeah, we've actually had, um, I would say that The onboarding is one of the things that we are the strongest at. And so, but on like the, the root of your question starts with how do you recruit and how do you do recruitment marketing or whatever you want to call it? And then who do you bring into the organization? We bring in people that are super experienced. We do deep technical working sessions that are essentially plug and play, Mm -hmm. right? Other companies aren't like that. They hire someone they they know they need to go through training for six months or they just need a body they're going to charge by the hour, so they just hire whoever. That's not how it works here. And so the type of talent that we bring in lends itself to being able to go through a swift onboarding and training process and then go out and get stuff done. Um, And so the onboarding process over about two weeks, which then gets continued with other other programs and things like that, uh, gets a ton of positive um, comments: The amount of documentation that we have, how defined the process is, and the I think part of the reason why is because, and it's something that we k- need to continue to work on, but I think it's a strength right now is that we simplify stuff. Um, I think that companies generally overcomplicate everything, um, which makes it feel like you're sm- like you're smarter, but in reality, simplifying things makes you smart. Um, and so, I think that those are a couple of the. Good documentation, um, how you ha- how you handle the like the actual interview process. Like the people that are coming in to do the work for our customers, we know how to assess the skills. We know whether people have the tools or not. Just like if you were going to the NFL combine, they know how high you need to jump and how fast you need to run to play in the NFL. We know what the what people need to be able to do in order to be successful here. Um, which a lot of other companies that don't do demand marketing and are trying to. Are, are trying to do, you know, demand marketing, right. And are interviewing people, but don't have a process or don't have expertise to evaluate the skills. That's why people miss. Um, and I'll pause there. Cause I'm, I can't tell. It seems like you have a follow-up here. So I'll let you get in there.
4: Oh, I always have follow-ups, but um, <laughs> no, my question, I, I, I guess, um, from what you just said, the, like you said that most people overcomplicate it, you simplify it. Can you kind of give me an example of, um, I don't know one thing you feel like other people overcomplicate in onboarding um, training that you kind of simplify.
1: Um, I'm thinking like the, the strategy that we have is relatively simple compared to what other companies do. So it's not exclusive to the onboarding program, but because the, what we have is, is I think relatively simple relative to what other people are doing, that it makes onboarding easier because there's less stuff to learn um mm-hmm. and that and so that comes down to um, i think it real, and it's uh, probably it's weird every dgl has like sort of an emerging theme here as it goes through my head and it's about removing stuff that you don't need it's unbelievable how many marketing teams have millions of dollars of expenses that are happening in not people in programs that are complete waste of money that it would be way better for the business to literally stop doing them and give the money back to the to finance and say there's better ways to deploy this money take it um and then if you were able to eliminate some of those things like it's so weird when you start to remove things and then you only have like okay these are our three or four core programs then mm-hmm. you have 20 people that are all focused on delivering on the three or four core programs and magically they start working better because you have focus but well I see what a lot of companies do is they have 25 programs and they put five people on the, on the things. And then each person trying to do five things and nothing gets off the ground because it's all spread too thin. So I think this is um, I'm not sure I answered your question directly, but it's the, it's the strategy that's simple.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. kind of. Um, if I'm to hear what you're saying correctly, it's kind of like clarity around who you hire, who you don't clarity around what you do, what you don't, what your philosophy is, what it isn't. And just, kind of simplicity is kind of the reason that you've been able to do that without diluting your philosophy. Is that kind of generally what I'm hearing?
1: Um, Yeah. And just um, like, if you really simplify the goal of marketing to, I want to um, I don't want to create email addresses for my sales team to follow up with. I want to create target buyers that have clear awareness to the problems that we solve and have dedicated budget and prioritize solving them. Like, And that's, that's what marketing should be about. And it's really simple. So I would need to teach people certain things about why they should prioritize this business problem over the other 29 fires that are going on in their company or in their department, and why this one is the right one, right? So when you look at companies like product-led companies, think that the answer to scaling product-led is just running performance marketing and driving people into the product, because then once they're in the product, they're going to get a bunch of value from it. The way to drive enterprise accounts into a product-led company, into a product-led go-to-market motion, is to teach the organization about the problem so that they prioritize solving the business problem or capitalizing the opportunity that your product enables them to do. Um, but for some reason, people just want to run performance marketing and you know, game attribution.
4: Absolutely, I appreciate you going into all that detail. Um...
0: I'm. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm done asking questions. I don't. Awesome. Realize. That
1: was a good chat. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Grace. I'll just add one thing. Something that we did really early on that really helped shape and evolve onboarding at Refine Labs was um, at the end of everyone's first week, um, and we actually still we still do this one week check in. Um, I asked everybody. What worked really well? What didn't work really well? What would you have changed? So just like we recommend spending time talking with your customers and staying close to the market and taking their feedback and implementing that. Um, like our initial onboarding schedule that like I made at the very beginning was solid, but I actually, every single week I would talk to a new hire and I made a change almost every time I was like, Whoa, great idea. I'm going to make that change. Cool. I'm going to add that. Oh, that." that's not as impactful as I thought, I'm gonna take that away. And so we, a a lot of where we've gotten to today is actually a direct result of uh, talking to our customers and our internal customers is is our team. So it's a great tactic that you can uh, incorporate yourself. Awesome. Um, All right, all right. Um, Layla from Sydney, good, you're still on here. I wanna make sure you can ask your question before you have to go. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey everybody.
1: Awesome. Hey, how's it going?
5: Doing great, thanks. Me too. It's really, uh, it's, it's very, very uh, crappy down here for a summer in Sydney, but anyway. Um, you know, I, I am going through a final interview for a CMO role in a startup. Um, they have about, uh, 30 people, maybe two to 4 million ARR. And I've gone through the rounds with the leadership team around this mindset, this new mindset, uh, around, um, demand generation, for example, and they all seem to buy it, but then there's always a, but, but we still need leads or whatever it might be. But, you know, I've, I've really made it clear that, you know, if, you know, this is the uh, this is approach and this is the route that that I would want to go, but I would be the first person in in marketing. So um, part of the, which I think is great, is part of the final interview process is a panel where I need to present a 100-day plan. Mm-hmm. And I want to use this as a check to really confirm that commitment to this new mindset. Um mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, maybe you could just take it from any angle if you are already here, red flags, because I know 100 days is, is very short and they're going to want to know when we'll expect to see results. Mm -hmm. So what, I guess two questions, what are the key components or activities you would recommend including in this 100 day plan? And that does include, right? Um, obviously, you know, understanding the customer and that entire process, Mm -hmm. but I guess that's my first question. Yeah, uh, the let's, get to, is- let's
1: get to that one first and then we'll get to the second one just so I don't forget.
5: Sure.
1: <laughs> um, so um, whenever you are looking for a marketing leader job in this situation, for this is for everyone, not just you. This is mainly for people listening afterwards, actually. Whenever you're looking for a job, a marketing leader job in this situation, the odds of it being the marketing death wish are high. The marketing uh-huh. death wish being that you come in as a marketing leader The sales leader, the company believes in everything like sales. They already have whatever, six to 15 people on the sales team. And then one marketing person, because the sales team isn't able to produce the things that they need. They think that one marketing person is going to come in and save the day. And then they can bring the one marketing person in. They pretend like they're aligned with your strategy. And then right when you're in there, you get sent on the MQL hamster wheel. And then when that doesn't work and they can't raise their series B, then they lay off the whole marketing team. It's literally what happened today. I was, talk- I was talking to somebody who was on a marketing team. Market company was 75 employees, didn't raise their Series B in time because they scaled everything without product market fit. And what happens when they don't raise Series B in time? They lay off 20% of the company, including everyone that works in marketing. And so that is uh, something to be conscious of. It's happened to me before. I speak about this from experience, both like from myself and also just talking to a lot of people that encounter companies like this. It is a dangerous game. With all that said, um, my first 100 days in this situation, and I would use the presentation of the first 100 days to basically push the company to make a choice about whether they believe what they say they believe. Um, and so, within I would say the number, the first thing that I would do is plug any obvious holes in inbound buying experience if so they have any inbound flow. Anyone that's coming in to you and saying, "Hey," I want to buy now or maybe you have a thousand like website visitors a month or whatever can you convert a couple more of those people into demos that are qualified that your sales team can have like can have most companies they've
5: never had one inbound conversion by the way
1: yeah so that does that for companies that might be a little bit late further on there are um that i think that is a a quick win scenario that can give you some equity before you go out and do customer insights The next thing that i would do is i would spend 30 days doing deep uh segmentation and customer insights basically like what a company needs at at this stage is they need a product marketer and a strategist but they think that they need a growth hacker (laughs) yeah And so they need someone to go out and figure out who are we selling to why exactly do they buy who should we not be selling to where is our biggest opportunity to win and that all is qualitative customer insights um so I would be doing that. I would also try and figure out what's the type of budget that you're playing with here. Do you know that? Uh,
5: so they're not going to include headcount in that. But I think it's going to be about to start maybe no no questions asked 200K for the year. That's no questions asked.
1: What about the... Um, because
5: that's about five. what they're looking at is 5% of... Um. The annual
1: yeah, our, recurring revenue. Yeah, yeah. That um, the percentage Thoughts of revenue, the percentage of revenue really breaks down at early stage companies uh, because you can't do shit with 200k in a year. They're like, what does that break down to? It's less than 20k a month. You can't even hire like one director of demand gen for that right now. Well, <laughs> you know well. I
5: mean? So they, the headcount is not included in that.
1: Yeah. How this many Where my next
5: question
1: is going? Yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah, why don't you ask your next question, and then we'll get back on it.
5: Okay. Uh yeah, that was the next question is I uh, is who would you uh, who would you bring on or what are the first couple of roles that you would bring on internally and how quickly?
1: Out of demand content. All the marketing. No, no, no. I'm just asking you a question out of out of demand content, ops, and um Product marketing, what are you the strongest at?
5: Probably demand.
1: Okay. Then I I would find a senior manager of product marketing.
5: Uh, product marketing is already there.
1: Nice. Then from there, I think that, I mean, you could figure out where to go next. I would probably find an ops person.
5: Wow. As one of the first.
1: Um. Yeah, having experience with a lot of early stage companies that have been in business for three years and have no historical data performance because they haven't prioritized ops. It's just like so irresponsible what companies are doing right now on the on the ops side generally. Like there's no data; they make terrible decisions with flawed data um, because they're not prioritizing those things. So yeah, I would say like a top. A first year hire for me. If you had somewhere between four, three and five headcount additional to you and the product marketer, I think an ops person would be in there. Great. Yeah. And um, and what
5: do you think about the the a whole of jumping into a rabbit hole of getting a field marketing person on board to support what your previous answer was around all of the tools that the sales team will need because they don't have anything.
1: Um, does sales enablement fall under marketing at this company?
5: I'm sure it will.
1: Okay. Um, and the product marketer's not doing it?
5: Trying, but, uh, that's something she's looking to offload.
1: How many sales resources does the company have out of the 30 people that work there?
5: uh, what, uh the chief revenue officer, the head sales guy, and maybe three SDRs.
1: So there's no no account executives, just three SDRs and those two people are closing?
5: Uh, the SDRs are doing uh, outbound.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're and, doing outbound calls. And then the CRO and the head of sales are the only people that are closing deals. There's no real sales reps.
5: There's probably, there is probably a sales rep as well. Okay. But yes, the CRO, the, the two leaders are really the ones that are closing the deals. Yeah. So you can um, ha- assume that they think all of the, they're open for education. That's what they want.
1: Yeah. But it would be like, I, I, it would be between month six and 12 of me being in there. It would not be a first six month hire for me for, to have someone addish, additional headcount with the limited people that I have to do sales enablement. Okay. The reason being is that you need the insights before that person adds any value. Otherwise, they're just going to be doing, just taking orders from your sales team with data that's probably not correct. Um, Like you as a leader, and it's not like, I'm not out there telling, I do this myself as a leader, you are not outsourcing the insights, you need to be the one that has the insights. And so you going out there and understanding why do these people buy from us and all the other things that I mentioned, so that then you can direct the entire revenue organization as to what this, where we're going and the insights of the strategy, because nobody else in your company is collecting them the way that you could. It's just the truth.
5: That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Chris.
1: Of course. Good luck. Be careful. I've gotten burned by that before.
5: Yeah, now I'm worried.
1: <laughs> I don't want to make you worry. There's a lot of good companies out there too. Just do your due diligence. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast and so super grateful and super happy that for all of you really appreciate you tuning in attending the live events engaging on the linkedin content and now watching us get started up and engaging on youtube and tiktok and so thank you thank you thank you to all of you and if you haven't already if you've gotten value from the podcast i would really appreciate if you could go to apple podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating it would mean a lot to me Thank you very much, and we'll see you for the next episode.